It's been an absolutely incredible week uh, here at the cross. As you guys have seen, you've seen some of the pictures. Um, you've heard some of the testimonies and some of the stories, and that's what it's like. Um, when our people um, come together to really invest in that next generation, because we know the impact that it's going to have. We know the impact that it has on a child when they can look and they can say, um, man, I've been in a safe environment. I've been able to share and make some great connections. Um, my son absolutely loved it, um, was, was um, jumping up and down every day to get here. Um, couldn't wait to get here and to hang out with his buddies and to be able to play and have a great time. So um, to all of our volunteers, thank you so much for investing being willing to give your life to invest, give some of your time to invest in that next generation. Because as we invest in that next generation, what it does is it continues to um, pour into your own life. It builds you up. It continues to give you the ability to be able to um, encourage others and to do what God has gifted you and called you to be able to do. So um, from all of us at the cross, if you, if you served, thank you so much um, for serving. I know that it was hot outside a couple of days. It was rainy one day. It was, you know, some of the conditions were a little bit tough. But, man, every day our volunteers were, were raising the level. Um, I think that we had twice as many people at Vacation Bible School as what we've ever had. Um, kids and volunteers, both, over 275 um, that were here consistently to help. So, hey, give those volunteers one more hand for me. So we started a series um, called Inspired. And if you haven't got the book by Larry Crabb, um, is a, a book called 66 Love Letters. And man, it's just an incredible book that you can get and kind of follow along with us um, over the next uh, several months as we walk through uh, the 66 books of the Bible. Um, we talked about and kind of hit Rick hit Kings last week and, and Samuel. And so we're going to roll right into First uh, and Second Chronicles and Ezra today. Uh, the theme of Vacation Bible School was, was forgiveness. And how we experience forgiveness in our lives and how we also are able to experience forgiveness as we work with others and we walk through life with other people as well. Um, I had the privilege this week of being kidnapped uh, by the Buckethead Bandits, all right? And so uh, this week uh, I was uh, taken all over the place, tied up and um, even on the roof and, and we had a great time. And one of the, the biggest things that you didn't get to see in the video is at the end, of, of the week on Thursday, we came in and the bucket heads were here and had the opportunity to, to lay it out and say, you know what? Um, forgiveness is available. And that's the key for all of us. Forgiveness is available. And so what the scriptures will show you is this, that God has called us to live an inspired life. God has called us to live by what he has laid out, a plan that he's laid out. Why? Not because he is a dictating uh, ruler that just moves puzzle pieces, but because he is a God who loves us and cares about us, wants the absolute best for us. He wrote a manual to help us to be able to live our lives, the instruction manual, and he gives us the ability to, through free will, to choose whether we want to follow after him and experience the greatness that he has in life, or whether we want to follow after ourselves and experience the turmoil that comes from doing so. And so today in Chronicles and Ezra, we're going to see a picture of that how we have followed after God for a season, and then we turn our back on him, follow after ourselves, and then we end up in turmoil, and then we turn and repent and say, God, I want you to be in control again, and we follow after God again. He forgives us, and then what happens? We get, get there, and, and we're interrupted by ourselves again, and then when all of a sudden we're sitting there going, I'm back in misery. 
Why? Because we choose to follow after our own plan instead of his plan. Anybody experienced that in their life or is it just me? Because, yeah, we all go through that. So this inspired series is a story of God's forgiveness and restoration, his redemption. That's what it is. The Bible is a love story that begins with a divorce, and everything from the third chapter of Genesis through the end of Revelation is a story of a betrayed lover wooing us back to himself. Why? So that we can experience family and love forever. That's what he's doing. He's drawing us back to him. His arms are wide open. They're wide open for us, and he desires for us to walk with him. So as you read through scriptures, you'll see there's different stories and different things that, 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 that take place in different times. It's like when you go through, you know, 1st uh, and 2nd Samuel, you go through Kings, you go through Chronicles, you go through Ezra, you go through things like that, and you're seeing the same story. Why is it in there twice? Why are some of the same events in there twice? You got to remember. So uh, the reason why we have Chronicles and we have Kings, have all these different things, it's written to two, two types of people. One was written to a captive people, and the other was written to a freed and redeemed people. All right, so as you read through the story of Kings, you read through the story of Samuel, those events are being written to a captive people because they've been captive, and now they've been, and they're experiencing their freedom, all right, and so the, the, the story that there is is from the point of view to a captive person. Well, we've all been captive by what? By our sin. We've all been captive by ourselves. And so it opens up, and we go into Chronicles, and it's written to a freed people, a restored community. So Chronicles is written to a restored community because it shows us how and what redemption looks like. What does it mean to be restored? You go through and you see in Samuel and Kings, God has to, to, to break the hearts of the people. God has to go through, and, and why? Because they have this, I deserve this mentality. They have this, hey, this is what I I want, this is what I need, this is what I should get, mentality. And so God humbles them and breaks their heart. Why? Because they've got to break down that entitlement mentality. Pride is the enemy of faith. Think about that. Pride is the enemy of faith. When you look and you say, I can do this on my own, I don't need you, I don't trust you, what happens? It decreases your faith and it puts your faith instead of in him into yourself. And when we do that, when we experience that in our lives, man, it, it separates us from him. So, when we open our hearts to God, when we allow God to do what he desires to do in our lives, man, unbelievable things happen. If you read through, as, as you read through the scripture, you'll see, man, if the people of God, the chosen people would just have trusted in him and followed after and pursued him, man, it would have been unbelievable in their lives, the things that could have happened. Why? Because he desired to allow us to be able to live the way that he designed it. And when we live the way that he designed it, man, it's unbelievable what he does. But what happens is this, same thing that happens in our life. We step into ourselves and step away from what he planned, and we open our hearts to ourselves, not to him. We close them to him, and it, it, it gives us the ability to, to deny what God calls us to do. In your life, man, God doesn't want that to happen. He wants you to be able to pursue him. And so when we open our hearts to God, we allow him to rebuild our lives the way that he designed it. God's forgiveness allows us to turn our lives back to him. All right, we're going to spend just a, a couple of minutes going through just a, a little bit of Chronicles. All right, so the first nine chapters of Chronicles, if you go into it and you start reading into it, it's about as fun as doing your taxes, okay? 
all right? About as fun as doing your taxes. But here's the deal. All those names, all the things, all that you go through, man, I'm telling you, when you were, uh, when you're born and raised in the South, you went to Decula High School. Can I get an amen, Mark? Come on, Julie. When you went to Decula High School, those names were not pronounced in our English class, right? So when I'm going through, I'm like, ah, so if you want me to read through the first nine chapters of Chronicles, it ain't going to happen, okay? Unless you want to laugh a lot about some of the ways that I mispronounce things. But here's the deal. Here's the key to it. It's this. If those nine chapters weren't there, man, we would miss the genealogical order of the, the lineage of the Messiah, where Christ is going to come from. We would miss the, the order of the priesthood. You would miss so many of those things. And so what it does is that absolutely drives a stake in the ground. It drives a nail in the post and says, hey, this right here, you can come back to it because I'm going to tell you, it started here. And it ends there, and if you don't believe me, track it down, because here's where we're going. And man, it lays it out. There's some things in Chronicles that you read and you look at, and you're like, "Woo, man, this is tough to get through. Yeah, I understand that. But man, there's some awesome stuff in there as well. As you read through, as you start seeing just some of the different ways that, that, that God kind of allowed the people to do the things that they did in order to, to redeem their heart. You get into chapter 10, and you, you get, get a little bit further from there, and you see, God has established himself as king over Israel, right? But Israel starts looking around and saying, you know, all these other kingdoms, they have a king in place. They have an earthly king. We don't have an earthly king. We just have a heavenly king. And so what do they do? You would think they would say, hey, our king's better, but what they do is this. We want an earthly king. And as they do that, they start begging God to give them somebody as their king. God lays it out through Samuel and says, hey, if you do this, Just know, you just need to know that if you do this, your sin will cost you forever. If you do this, if you do this, it will cost you everything. Follow me. Allow me to direct your life. Allow me to be in charge. But once again, pride takes away. Pride takes away from that faith. So God gives them what they want. Samuel, I mean Saul comes in, and as Saul is the king, he begins to follow after God for a season the people follow after him, but what does he do? He betrays. He makes some decisions and, and betrays what God called him to do. David comes in the picture. God begins to redeem the people again. David does what? Makes some compromises. Those compromises cost them again, right? It's a story over and over you see. There's a theme you see over and over through these scriptures where people follow after themselves, and what happens? They, they leave what God has called them to. And when that happens, man, it costs them. It costs you everything in your life. Why do, why, do those, why do we continue to go through these kind of things? Because I think that our pride is the enemy to the faith. We want to trust ourselves more than we want to trust him. We want to trust what we can do on our own instead of what God has for us. God has specific instructions and plans for our life, not just because of his enjoyment. He has those plans and gives us instructions. Why? Because He designed us, and he knows what's best for us. He designed us and knows what's best. You go in and you start looking at Romans chapter 3. You can see the way that God designed things. We've all sinned, right? We fall short of God's glory. And as we sin, we fall short of his glory. And what happens is this. God gave us his son to redeem us. He gave us his son to be able to come in and pay the price for our, our sin, right? He was the propitiation of our sin, 
That's a big scriptural word, right? The propitiation. It, it, it literally means to appease the wrath of somebody who is offended. To appease the wrath of someone who is offended. To, to be redeemed. To reconcile that person back to someone. And that's what God did through Jesus. He allowed the wrath that he had, instead of it coming on us, he allowed that to go to his son. Does that mean there's not going to be consequences for sin? No. Mm -mm. There's not, it doesn't mean that you're not going to have consequences. It doesn't mean that you're not going to experience that in your life. What it means is this, that even through those consequences, you can grow closer to him. Even through that, you can grow with him. There's consequences. You think about with David. You get back to Chronicles 13, lays it out, and David did what? He goes in and, and he takes the, and, and moves the Ark of the Covenant back to you know, Jerusalem, and as he's doing so, he has really good intentions, but it doesn't work out so well. God has specific instructions as to how you're supposed to move it, but David did it a different way because he thought it would be better, right? And it cost him. There's going to be consequences that happen. Anytime in our life that we do something that's different from what God commanded, it costs us. The Ark of the Covenant was something that was specifically designed by God that housed the, the Ten Commandments. And um, on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. It was, it was literally a, a, a cap that said, we're going to trust in you, God, to take care of our sin, to, the, it, it, to cover or to cleanse, to make atonement for what we do wrong. And God, if you'll allow us to follow after you, we're going to continue to pursue you. But what happens once again? They pursue themselves. We walk away from what God desired. It was a direct foreshadowing, direct foreshadowing of what God would do later when he sent his son Christ. It was a direct picture of what God would do when he sent Jesus to fulfill and to take over that life that they had laid out, the life of sin and the life that they needed redemption through. So from there, here's what happens. We don't look to the physical Ark of the Covenant any longer. We look to the cross of Christ. The Bible is a love story that begins with that divorce, and it continues to woo us back to him, continues to draw us back to him. That's what he's looking to do. So why does God allow, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? You know, you think back to the, the promise that he made to Moses. If you'll follow after me and you'll, you'll, you'll pursue me, man, I'll give you provisions. If you walk away from me, it'll cost you. You'll be dispersed. You'll go through desperate times. And man, it's going to break you. God's promise was that if you follow me, I will be with you. If you turn from me, it will cost you. Why do bad things happen to good people? Hey, it, it's because of what we have chosen. It's because of what we've done, right? But here's the deal. Man, there's forgiveness. There's redemption out there. Less than a year ago, I was in northern Iraq uh, on, a, on a mission trip with um, some folks. While we were there, we've got, um, currently there, there's 18 families that are there now um, in this area. Um, get updates from them every month, continue to pray for them and to lift them up. They're experiencing some incredible things through God. Um, it was August 17th last year. Uh, <clears throat> it was a Thursday. We were working in a refugee camp. Uh, about 40 miles from a city called Habajah. Habajah was a city that two years earlier had been taken over by ISIS, and it had been under ISIS control since that time. We were there working in a refugee camp with about 4,000 people 
Um, it was this, one of the smallest camps that there were. Um, a lot of the other camps were thirty to 40,000 people living in them. We were this one camp and working with the refugees who had been driven out or had tried to escape and uh, being able to do ministry with them and to be able to see this absolute terror, this, this brokenness in their lives, being able to sit with somebody that, that they didn't ask for this, they didn't deserve this, they didn't ask. I mean, these were good people. I'm talking about doctors, I'm talking about lawyers, I'm talking about, I mean, some very, very well-off people who were now sitting in a tent that you could probably fit 25 tents in this room at least of what they were now living in for the last two years. As we were there meeting with some of these people, we were talking about just what God is doing in their life and opening up the door to, to, to talk about Scripture from the, the, what Allah had meant to them as a dictator to what God as a heavenly father meant to them. You can read in the Quran, and you can see in the Quran, there's over 100 names for Allah. There's over 100 names for God. There's not one of them that is father. There's not one of them that is a name like a father figure to them. And so when you sit on a floor with somebody who's been driven out and seen their family murdered in their eyes to create a, a, a shame and to create a fear in their life, when you see that and you sit with them, you can just see they don't relate God as being a heavenly father when he allowed these things to happen. The biggest question that we would get was this. Why would God, if he is so good, allow bad things to happen to us good people? And you know where we would go? Right back to the scripture. Because they believe the Old Testament. We would go right back to the scripture and talk about that with Moses. That with Abraham. That with David, that with Saul, these stories that we're looking at even today and say, what happened is this. God created it as a love story. What happened was brokenness. We walked away from him. He didn't walk away from us. And when we chose to walk away from him, instead of allowing him to give us the ability to live, it costs us. And it's going to cost us for generations. And we would get the opportunity to be able to share. And we're sitting with talking with people. I, I met one man who he was in, involved in a, the police in that local town in Habajah. When ISIS came in, the first thing that they would do in a town is go immediately to the police and to the authorities. They would arrest them. They would take them. They would kill most of them. The ones they didn't kill, they would take back to Syria and they would put into a prison. I talked to this guy and he, he, he literally lived for 30, over 30 days in a cage that was two feet wide and three feet tall. He showed me how he had to sit. He lived in it for 30 days. He could not move. They would just pass around a bottle of water between, he said there was about 65 or 70 other prisoners in that, in that same block. There was just cages built. And he said they would, they would survive just by passing water around. He lost tons of weight, completely emaciated. He said they were sitting there one day, and all of a sudden, they heard planes flying over and bombs being dropped. The U.S. was bombing the, the area where they were, and luckily for him, a bomb hit the prison that he was in. It killed almost all the ISIS guards, and the guys were able to escape. He was able to have freedom. He was somebody who was living in a two-by-three cell for the last 30-something days, and freedom came 
And he was able to escape and to walk away. And you know what he said? He said, I'll never forget what it was like to stand up again. I'll never forget what it was like to stand up again. For 30 days, he couldn't even stand. He would have to just stretch and to do anything he could. He was able to to escape and to get back to northern Iraq, to get back to his family. And they were living in this refugee camp. And to hear him tell some of the stories, to hear him to share some of the things that happened. Why do bad things happen to good people? See, here's where he is and where we still are. We're not that good. Why do bad things happen to good people? (laughs) We're not that good. You want to see the moral filth that we have in our lives? You look at something like what ISIS was doing. You look and you see the depravity that human nature can drive us to. So the forces were going in, the Iraqi forces and the Kurdistan forces, they were going in and they were preparing to liberate this town of Hawajah. And as they're getting ready to go in to prepare to liberate them, people knew that the fightings were coming. What would happen is ISIS would come in, they would take over, and they would uh, kill a lot of the people. They would take away all, all cell phones, all types of communication. And basically, you were living in your house in prison, and, and you couldn't really do anything. Um, you could go and get the food, you could do the different things, but you could really no longer live your life. They would come and go anytime they wanted Um, anyone, girls nine years old and up, were usually taken away and sold into sex slavery. Um, If they were left there, they were left there for a reason of the same thing. All of these families were experiencing this kind of suffrage and bondage. So they would be willing to do almost anything to try to escape. They knew what was about to happen. They knew what was going on. And so they would begin to try to leave and try try to get out. And I remember that Thursday on August 17th, there was a family of eight that was trying to escape that town. And as they were leaving, ISIS caught them, and on live TV, they burned them, including an, eight, an infant. Burned them, all eight of them, as a tactic to try to scare people from leaving and saying, we are in control. That freedom that so many people would like to just have. Guys, we have that day in and day out right here. We have that day in and day out. In the same exact way that that one guy talks about being in that cell, completely captive, and finally being able to stand up. I mean, just put yourself in his shoes for a minute. I wouldn't insult him to say that we even could think that we could. But just try your best. Put yourself in the situation where for 30 days you can't even get out of a cage that's two feet by three feet. I mean, it's, it's this. That's about what he was living in right there. That's it. To, to not even be able to move out of this. And for him all of a sudden to be able to be freed and to stand up. What would it be like? Here's what it's like in our lives. When we allow God to redeem us, when we allow God to free us, when we allow him to take over what we've gone through in our life, what we've put ourselves into, even as good people, man, it's just like stepping out and for the first time stretching those legs out, for this first time being able to stand up. Yeah, it was painful, he said, 
He said, it was painful when I stepped out, but when I was able, he said, I literally pushed myself up. And he said, when I got as tall as I could, it took every bit of energy I had. He said, I took the deepest breath and I said, I am not finished. God has a plan and a purpose for me. Here's the effect. Here's the effect. What ISIS was doing to try to control people, what they are continuing to do to try to control people through the Quran is turning Muslims back to God himself. Turning them, why? Because they look at it and they say, if they're doing this and according to saying what, what my religion says that they should do, then that's not right. And what it's doing is opening the doors wide open for Christians to be able to go in and to share the truth about who God is as a heavenly father, not an earthly dictator. And man, it is, it, 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 the freedom that we are seeing is unbelievable. The same freedom that there is there is free and available for us to hear. We have the ability to be able to say, God, I trust you in this. I place my faith in you, and I want to live my life for you the best that I can. I, I, I'll never forget, it was, it was August 24th, that Thursday was August, August 24th, 2017. I'll never forget that day because I remember being in a camp, sitting there with a family as they watched the scene unfold that I was telling you about from the family that they knew that was being burned. And to see them and to know the heartbreak that there is, why to why do bad things happen to good people? And it drives you right back to what Chronicles and Ezra lays out. That when we choose to pursue what we choose to pursue and we leave God and we forsake him, man, you open yourself up to the pits of the depravity that can take over. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Man, look at the covenant that he made with Moses. He instructed us, hey, for generations to come, I'll take care of you. However, if you follow after your own ways, it'll cost you through despair, punishment, and dispersion. Why? Because this is what I've laid out. I will keep my promise. God's laid out a promise for us. You can live your life for him or you can live your life for yourself. He will keep his promise. No matter what, no matter where you go, no matter where you've been, that's what he'll do. You can see the stories over and over and over through Scripture. As you roll through the rest of Chronicles, you'll see Kings who came in and they followed after God, they pursued him for a season, and then yet they turned to themselves and they allowed God to go and sit on the back burner. And they said, you know what, where we placed our faith in you, I'm going to place it now on myself. Incredible story of Asa. If you haven't read through that, man, just jot it down in your notes. In Second Chronicles 14 through 16, there's three chapters right there. If you want to see a summary of what, what Chronicles looks like, read that story. Second Chronicles 14 through 16. Read those three chapters sometime. Read that this week because I'm going to tell you, here's what happens. Asa goes in and says, hey, I'm going to trust you. We'll follow you. They get surrounded. Asa says, hey, you know what? God, you're in control. I trust you. Can you protect us? God protects them, destroys their enemy. Asa comes in. He continues clean house. He cleans house and he does all these things to restore that community. To say, we want to follow after you, God. Cuts down the Asher poles, does all these things. Except for one thing. He, he didn't remove some of the high priests that, that were in control of, of, of leading people away from God. He kind of let them stay in their post. One little compromise that cost him. 
down the road, instead of turning to God when they get surrounded again, another kingdom's coming up against them. Instead of turning to God, Asa says, you know what? Hey, if you will take care of us, this other king, if you'll take care of us, I'll give you these things. And God says, you know what? Man, you trusted me, and I've, I've done all these things for you. So why now do you choose to trust in yourself instead of allowing me to do what I've shown you I can do over and over? And he says, because of this, it's going to cost you again. Why? Because I keep my word. I keep my promise. This is where I am. And it led to the destruction again. Even to a point, man, it's one of the saddest things. One of the saddest scriptures you'll see is in, in that, that, that part in 2 Chronicles 14, or in 16. Asa goes and he, he has all these things that, that starts to happen to him. He's afflicted with this, this disease in his feet. And one of the saddest things that you'll see says this at the end of 2 Chronicles uh, 16. It says, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek the help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. He had gone and tried all these other things, but he never returned to God and said, God, if you'll just take care of this for me, if you'll walk with me through this. How many times do we go through that in our lives? It's a great picture of us in the way that we live our lives with him. I don't know about you, but God has done some incredible things in my life. Incredible and unbelievable things. Ephesians 3.20 type stuff. He can do immeasurably more than we can ever even ask or imagine. Why do we forget about those things and turn back and limit ourselves and say, but God, here's where I am. Why do we do that? See, pride is the enemy of faith, but there's forgiveness available. Pride is the enemy of faith, but there is forgiveness available. We go through these things in our life, and we give God the opportunity to be able to do what he desires, but then we turn away from him. As you move, you know, we have Chronicles because it's a picture that the writer says, man, listen to all these things that happen. Learn from this. Pursue God with all that you are. And as you do this, give him the opportunity to redeem you and restore you. Why do we have books like Chronicles in there? Because it, the, the writer wants us to learn from the mistakes. He wants us to learn. <clears throat> as you go through Scripture, man, read it through God's lens. Read it through the lens that God gives you. He wants us to be able to learn and be able to put into practice the way that we can live our lives for him. So, man, I, I just challenge you and encourage you. Dive into the Scripture. Give God the opportunity to be able to, to open your heart to see who he is about the redemption and restoration. You move into Ezra, and it's the same thing. It's a picture of how God desires that we would live our lives in a holy way for him. It's about rebuilding the temple. Not only a physical temple, but also that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. To rebuild your body in a way where God is honored through that. Ezra goes in, he lays out all these things. The first six chapters about the, the temple being rebuilt. And then from there, it goes right into just the way that Ezra came in and, and wanted to restore the people. To teach the, the, the scriptures and to say, this is who God is. All these things are laying out that, that God desires to do. He'll do whatever it takes in your life and in your heart to open your heart to delight in him. God will do whatever it takes. You're always free to come back to God. No matter how far you've gone, how far you've walked away, you're always free to come back to him. He desires that we would have the opportunity to live with him. Tears will flow every time you experience mercy, even through your failures. Remember this, God has a plan. 
God has a plan for whatever you've walked through and whatever you're going through in your life. Every time I think back to some of the trips that I've taken overseas and to, to some of the areas that have been depleted, man, I always go back and I think about just the way that God has a plan. It's tough sitting there and hearing a story. It's tough sitting there with a family while they watch some of their friends being burned alive. It's tough to do those things. But I'm going to tell you this. The difference that God makes is this. You've got to remember, he has a plan. Why would he allow bad things to happen to good people? You know, there's a family that's in our church that, man, they're experiencing great loss right now. We got a phone call on Friday that, that um, uh, the father had passed away, been dealing with cancer for a long time. And, man, just for us as a church to be able to look and to see, God, you know, I even asked the question, I'm preparing for this message, and even Friday I'm saying, you know, God, why do you allow bad things to happen to good people? Do you not see all this stuff that, that Bruce has done here? Do you not see all these things that God has done in, in, in and through this family? And God says, remember, I have a plan. And he shows me this. When tragedy hits and when things go on, I always go back and I always question. There's a difference between questioning, God, why? And wanting to, to all right, why, God? And then really pointing the finger at God and asking him, demanding why. There's a difference. One's okay, one ain't. Guess what? He's a big enough God to answer your questions of why. He's a big enough God to take the, the question. And I go in, I, God, why? You know what God has shown me in those times? God says, stop blaming me for what the enemy has done. Why do you blame me for things I haven't done? But God, you could have stopped this. I could have stopped this, but you chose this when you walked away from me. So I don't know where you are in your life, but I can promise you this. When you've gone through heartache, when you've gone through and experienced loss, when you've gone through tough situations, God has a plan. God has a plan. He'll do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to drive you back to him, to give you the opportunity to be able to see and to know who he is. I think that, I think that if God could, could speak a word into our hearts today, I think it would be something like this. Stop trying to do and devote so much time and energy into trying to make your life better and just devote it to me. Stop doing everything that you can try to do to try to make your life better. Stop devoting so much time to trying to make your life better and just spend your time devoting your life to me because that's what's going to happen. When we do that, man, God takes us. He takes all those things and he gives us the ability to live our lives for him. So I challenge you, no matter what you've walked through, where you've gone, what you've been through, give God the opportunity to restore and rebuild what he created in you. Restore, rebuild it, redeem it back to him. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've gone through, God desires to have a relationship with you and to be able to see you forgiven and redeemed. Our kids learned an incredible lesson this week about forgiveness. And I hope, man, just through the scriptures, you'll let that lesson kind of penetrate where you are as well. Prepare your hearts to surrender. Prepare your hearts to, to, to daily walk with Christ. That's what it is. It's there to prepare us to surrender to Christ. He's the only thing and the only one who's able to fulfill what the scripture says. It's him. And the first 39 books, these first 39 letters, these inspired scriptures will create a space in you that only Christ can fill. 
God has a plan, even for those who have suffered in the face of evil. Just keep reading, stay tuned, because the last 27 chapters, the last 27 letters, they'll blow you away. I don't know where you are and you're walking in your journey with him. Dive into the scripture. Give God the opportunity to speak to you and to give you the opportunity to live for him.